Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. O Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies who silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. All flocks and herds and beasts of the field the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. C.S. Lewis, in his Reflections on the Psalms, wrote, the most valuable things the Psalms do for me is to express that same delight in God which made David dance. Isn't that a great picture? Do the Psalms do that for you? Well, Psalm 8 is probably one of my favourites, and yes, whenever I read it, I get excited. It makes me want to dance at least a little bit. But then Lewis went on to write this. I compare that, he says, with the dutiful church going to which most of us are often reduced. He says the Psalms, by contrast, are astonishingly robust, virile and spontaneous, which we may regard with an innocent envy and may hope to be infected by, as we read. Now, when I read this Psalm, I want to get infected with the same passion that the man after God's own heart had who wrote it. I like to think that he wrote it maybe out in the fields, looking out at the vast night sky. And he, and, and he knew if he started counting sheep, he'd fall asleep. So he counted stars instead. The same way God got Abraham's faith up. Whenever he was down, he would say, look up, count the stars if you can. See, there are things going on in your world and mine that can get you down. And what do you do then? Well, to remember that God is on the throne, not coronavirus. To remember the ultimate hope of the world is not a government, not a vaccine, but Jesus. How majestic is his name. The God who made 100 billion galaxies came to this sin-sick planet to save it by his own blood. I like the book by Simon Sinek, which is called Start With Why, but this doesn't start with why, it starts with who. And it ends with the same who too. That's why we always start with worship. Everything starts and ends with worship. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We have to start with who? Reframe God. James Packer, who died this summer, wrote in Knowing God, once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. Whenever I get worried, it's because my problem seems too big and my God has become too small. I've been looking down the wrong end of the telescope. We have to see God bigger. It all comes out of who God is. 
A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Years ago, there was a move of the Holy Spirit. I'm praying for another wave. The media keep talking about waves coming and bringing such fear, but I believe there is a wave the Holy Spirit is going to pour out in these days. When the enemy comes in, like a flood, the Lord will raise up a standard against him. That wave in the 90s, I never got to go to Toronto, but we just got some splashes off the back of it over here. It was the nearest thing to revival that I'd ever seen in this nation anyway up until that point. But during those meetings, a friend who went there, he told me there was this elegant, well-spoken, very erudite theologian who came along to check it out. He was quite sceptical. But then he just got hit by a wave, by the power of God. And he was there for weeks and weeks, never intended to be. He just couldn't leave. And whenever the worship started, when the Spirit of God was moving in the place, this guy would just stand there night after night with tears streaming down his face, looking up, looking up and saying over and over the most incredible, the most profound thing. He'd just say, big God. That's what he'd say. He had a PhD, he's a pastor, he's a theologian, but he'd forgotten maybe the most basic things. Big God, big God. Is your God a big God? I was mentored by a mighty man of God called Tony Price for a year. And when we were praying, so often we'd be praying. I was, I was a young police officer then. I just knew God was calling me somehow to read and learn the Bible and get to know him better. And I found Tony and he helped me understand more about Jesus. We'd go and sit in his house and eat bacon sandwiches or go up a hill and pray. And when he prayed, I just noticed over and over he would pray. He'd call him Sovereign Lord. He'd say, Sovereign Lord, we just love you. Sovereign Lord, we thank you. Sovereign Lord. And then sometimes he'd stop and he'd look at me and he'd say this. He'd just say, he is sovereign, you know. He is sovereign. Never forgot that. I was reading that prayer at the end of David's life the other day and I counted up. I think it's 11 times as he's going to be with him that he calls God Sovereign Lord. Hey, in your church, in your city, in your family, in your nation, whatever is happening, whatever is going to happen, and in many ways I think it is going to get harder, but listen, big God, he is sovereign, you know. Reframe God. John Calvin wrote about general revelation, the kind of stuff that you see in Romans 1 when you look at creation and really without excuse, unless you suppress the truth that there is a creator. But you can't just figure out from that by sitting cross-legged on a mountain. Nobody ever contemplated how big he is. Or nobody can figure out how loving and how kind and how good he is. Nobody just worked it out that God is love. We needed a special revelation, we're told of that. He'd have to come and show us, and now we have to go and show and tell others. And that's why we're here, guys. But before you go and tell anybody else, make sure you remember, you know it too. Don't start with why, start with wow. David goes on to ask, what is man? But he doesn't start there, he starts with God. He could only see 5,000 stars, that's all he can see with the naked eye. But haven't you ever just stood there? When was the last time you just said, wow? in worship. Wow that we are known and loved and befriended and forgiven and saved by the God of a hundred billion galaxies that we now know of. Wow. Now when we worship, it isn't that dutiful church going that C.S. Lewis talked about. It's about getting your wow back. It's, it's wanting to do the David dance. When we're worshiping now, if nothing else happens in these days, I'm praying we will all re 
frame God and get our wow back. That wow of love, that wow of wonder, that wow that Psalm 8 says children and infants have when they dance like David with complete abandon. So when they sing a simple song, it shuts up all the powers of darkness and hell. Start with wow. Wow comes when we start with who. Reframe who is God? Who is he really to you? Is he still sovereign over your life? This psalm says he is Lord and his name is majestic in all the earth. He's sovereign, so start there. It ends there too and everything in the middle is just detail. Let's start now with wow. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. There's a Netflix docudrama called The Social Dilemma which talks about this dangerous thing that we've got and how the creators of Facebook and Google and YouTube and they're just sounding the alarm, the people who made this, about how it's kind of become like a Frankenstein's monster. And it gets worse the younger you go. The premise of the show is this adage, if the product is free, you are the product. And now everything here keeps pulling back my attention, my focus to sell me more and more on what the world wants me to buy and to buy into. Now, of course, the traditional media is largely built on the same thing, but now they have these things called algorithms, which keep pulling me back, drawing me in, to spend more and more time, more and more of my life looking here to figure out the world and to walk around trying to figure out the who question, who am I? And the what questions, what matters most? The reason that these algorithms are so powerfully working is that they're built to understand me better than I know myself. They want to give me more and more of what I, as an individual, want. It doesn't care about me, it just wants to give me more and more of what I like. Whatever I like, it gives me more of. It just wants me to keep scrolling down to show me more and more of that on every platform, every news feed, every timeline, to become a unique individual consumer. But I am consumed and I'm consuming myself. And the thing that becomes the mirror by which I see myself is right here. My timeline reflects me, what I want to see, who I want to be, the image I want to project. It's all about me, who I am. What you see is what you get. That's how computing started, but this is where it's taken us. It's who you are and who you are becoming more or less of. It's this beautifully designed, individually tailored straight jacket and how do I figure out who I am in such an individualistic way how do I tear myself away long enough from this kind of looking in and look up even my worship playlist reflects my own thoughts and preferences and likes and ideas about God and the way I like my worship rather than looking at it looking at something so big somebody so big and worshipping him in the ways that my brothers and sisters 
from so many other traditions and so many other nations and throughout history have done so for centuries. So how do I figure out me without we? Without connecting in a world where I can't unfriend you or remove you or block you, but I'm stuck with you in community so that we really does become us, not just all about me. In Psalm 8, this young man is trying to figure out the world and his place in it. And so he looks up at the stars, first of all, and he says, wow, who are you, God? Tears his attention away from his surroundings long enough to look up and look to God. Then, after the wow, then he starts to look at the next question, which is, who am I? Why would you bother with me? And when you woke up in the morning, this morning, it's a big question to ask is, what did God think when you woke up? That's really helpful to think about how you see God is related to how you think he sees you. When you woke up this morning, did, it, did God think, oh no, she's up again? What kind of a trouble is she gonna get into? Did, did God look at you and, and start to want to inspect you? Did he think, no, you don't line up properly? Did God have, pull out his performance chart and, and grade you on that. Is that the kind of God that we think he is? Did, did God just think, oh good, I just get to do some things through you now. I've now got a drone, I've now got a robot who's going to go and do my work in the world and that's what it's about. I've got a bunch of slaves, not sons and daughters. See, all of these things can end up with a wrong picture of who I am. Um, that's why to figure out who I am I need to go wow about God and then I need to look in but not look into my phone not look into my social media and all those other things but instead to look into the word of God I need to look here in the Bible to find out and figure out who I am we need to come to the creator to work out why we are made James 1 verse 25 says whoever looks in looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it not forgetting what they've heard but doing it they will be blessed in what they do so often we've made the church about forgetful hearers rather than blessed doers and we're going to look at that next in the psalm but now when i look in here wondering what God wants and what he thinks about me. It turns out he's thinking about me all the time. He says he's mindful of me. He's, he's bearing good thoughts in mind for me. He, he actually loves me and he sees myself as being valuable and savable and lovable. You never locked eyes with somebody who doesn't matter to God. For God loved you and me so much that he, he gave himself to this world to save us, but everybody who believes in him is valuable and savable and lovable. That's who I am no matter what. It says here, he made us a little lower than Elohim. Some versions say that as angels, that's not right, it's God. He's just made us a little bit lower than himself and he's crowned us and bestowed us with glory and honour through the love of Christ with whom we are seated in heavenly places. We need to reframe who people are. We need to get that love inside of ourselves that transforms us. Then we'll start to transform the world because I'm, then I'm going to start to see God's reflection of his image in everybody else that I meet. Everybody else that needs to know him 
I get to see a glimpse of him. And then whenever I go and serve them or love them or preach to them in any way, I find that he says, when you do it for them, you're doing it for me because I've put something of myself inside of them. And now your job is to discover it and to bring out, as it says in the message, all of the God colors in the world. We've reframed God. We need to reframe how we see people. It starts with us, but of course it never, ever ends with us. It has to go to the ends of the earth. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. All flocks and herds and beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This psalm shows us how we need to reframe God and just get our wow back when we look up. We need to reframe ourselves and people and, and look in and see all of the treasure that God has put inside every one of his creations made in his image. And then we also need to reframe church by looking out. It says here that God has made us as his children, but it's like the children in Narnia who were kings and queens forever. That's what we are. We are a kingdom of priests. Every single one of Jesus' followers is part of this kingdom of priests. This church that I'm in got started in 1893. I don't mean it was built that year. It was actually started by a conversation. There was a young man called Oliver Brockbank who went to Cambridge. There he heard the gospel through D.L. Moody who'd come from America, from Chicago, to come and bring the gospel to the Christian Union. And Oliver Brockbank got infected with the gospel virus and he came back and he witnessed to his gardener, Mr. Green, and told him about Jesus Christ. And Mr. Green became a believer and then they said, how are we gonna reach out to more people? So Mr. Green invited some of his friends, some men came and they started to meet in a house and read the Bible together. It got started in a small group. It got started in a small way with just a few men meeting together and reading the Bible. But then their wives wanted to come along too and they moved to a, a bigger house just down the road. It was called Ivy Cottage. And then that got too big so they built a little extension onto the side of it, but that wasn't big enough. So then he built this building, Ivy Cottage Mission Hall, not as a church for people to come to, but as a mission for people to go and be on and reach out from. That's how the church got started in the first place. That's, I bet you, how every single church that we're part of started. You will have a pioneer story. You'll have a story of somebody who told somebody who got to tell more and more people so that everybody got the opportunity to be able to hear about Jesus Christ. So why, why have we made the church about people coming in? People coming in. People just coming in and looking in. And maybe looking up but not looking out. When here it says that God gave people you and me, dominion. He gave us authority. He gave us power to go and act for him. God is the ultimate delegator. He doesn't want to keep it all to himself. He wants to get it done through you and through me. He wants the miracles to happen through you and me. He wants the message to go out through you and through me. He wants the kingdom to come through you 
and me. So he says, here's how you pray. As it is in heaven, let it be here on the earth. And to announce and to proclaim and to declare and to see that happen right where you are in the sphere of influence which he has put you in. None of it is by accident. The place where you are, the time that you live, the people you're connected to is all part of his plan. In Acts, if you remember, Paul's trying to explain the, the, the good news to these philosophers who were just thinking it's all just about some other God uh, who they might want to find out about and discuss. And then he says, you know what? This God I've come to tell you about, his name is Jesus and he's alive. And now he calls everybody to repent. He wants everybody to come to know the knowledge of the truth. But he says, you think he's far away. He's not far away in you. We live, in him we live and move and have our being. And he says in that, in that same talk, he says, he has decided the exact times and places where you should live so that people will reach out and connect to him. Jesus didn't just want to make subjects when he came. He wanted to make disciples who would make disciples. And so he commissioned them. He gave them authority so that the kingdom would come on the earth. Here in the UK, we drive on the left-hand side. If, if you were to go to lots of other places in the world, you're going to find that they drive on the left side too. Now, there's a lot that was wrong with colonialism, but the idea that is behind it is that there is a kingdom and people go out in the name of that king and they make the new place like the place that they've come from. This is what Jesus was talking about. God established this earth as a colony of heaven for the kingdom to come. Adam and Eve threw it all away in the first place, in the beginning. But Jesus has won it all back. And now he says to you and me, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So now, therefore, you go and make disciples. You go and teach people about me. You mature them, you, you baptise them for me, you mark them in my name and then together you go on this mission so that everybody gets to hear to the very ends of the earth and I'm with you to the very end of the age. If you haven't seen in these days in which we're living that the church is changing, you've just not been paying attention. God is doing something in these days and I'm excited to be a part of it and mo very much of this move is the movement towards multiplication. It's the move towards everybody gets to play. It's the move towards there not just being some people who are ministers and others who are ministered to but for everybody to be that kingdom of priests who've reframed church. So many pastors I'm talking to, they still keep talking, they still keep people in their churches having asked them about when are we going to go back. Somebody asked me that recently about our church. Here's what I said, we never go back. We're never going to go back. We're always here to go forward, to take new ground, to fulfil the Great Commission. We need to reframe God with a bigger wow. We need to reframe how we view other people as being lost but loved and able to be saved because they are so valuable and so lovable. And then when we get that fire inside of us, we can't help 
but go and reach out and to fulfill this great commission. But it's only gonna happen when you reframe church. It's no good us sitting inside our church buildings, looking outside of our beautiful stained glass windows. I love the windows here in this church, but what can happen is we sit inside and we just admire them. Rather than we go outside and we start to tell everybody and anybody and, and love them and serve them and show them Jesus Christ in the places where he's put us so that we don't bring them to church, but we bring church to them. Because church is you and me. It's the ecclesia. It's the people of God on the mission of God for the glory of God. We need to reframe God. We need to get a bigger wow about God. We need to reframe how we see people, that they are loved, but they are lost and they need to be found. And, and the, the gospel is the only message that saves them and the church is the only vehicle that will reach them and change everything forever. So we need to reframe everything, starting now, in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org media.